Welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. We are back with another episode today with a review of Twilight. I say review, but it's really going to be more of just an absolute roast. Um, we're excited to be back um, after the holiday season. It's good to be back. Sam and I are excited to dive into this film and all of the implications that it has for viewers and from a filmmaking perspective, how it did, all that kind of stuff. Sarah, do you want to start us off with a IMDb summary? Of course I do. So Bella Swan is a clumsy, kind-hearted teenager with a knack for getting into trouble. Edward Cullen is an intelligent, good-looking vampire who is trying to hide his secret. Against all odds, the two fall in love, but will a pack of bloodthirsty trackers <laughs> and the disapproval of their family and friends separate them? Bum, bum, bum. You have to watch the movie to find out. Oh, Or man. just don't. Your life will be better <laughs> yeah. off if you don't. Also, the fact that they call him intelligent kind of blows my mind a little bit. Like, <laughs> when did we ever see his mental prowess and his well, sharp mind on display in this film? I mean, when you've lived for over 100 years, you've collected a few facts and skills along the way. So True. maybe that's it. And, I mean, compared to 17-year-old boys, he would probably seem pretty intelligent. Yeah, I guess so. Although, let's be in a relationship with a thing that we are uh, not supposed to be digging our teeth into. Like that's like a great idea. Let's but welcome that's temptation. What makes it dangerous and exciting? Ah, uh, yes. This is so problematic. Yeah. This is when the roast begins before the IMDb summary can even finish. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you know. <laughs> honestly oh. right before recording this sarah and i had such a good time reading through some of the imdb summaries and the way that they portray this film was so entertaining one of them was about how um bella meets some guy who can peer into her soul and she's found her immortal soulmate and it's like goodness <laughs> gracious <laughs> anyway a lot of fun so maybe we should start with a backstory of this film. We had kicked around the idea of watching this film kind of as a joke for a while. Um, mm -hmm. You know, wouldn't it be funny if we watched Twilight? Oh gosh, it's been many, many, many years since we watched that as a preteen. Uh, it'd be really interesting to watch it as adults. Ha 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 ha. Wait, we should actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we um, watched this film. It was back when I was moving. So <laughs> we literally like set up some blankets and pulled out a laptop and bought a bunch of snacks from Trader Joe's and sat down and watched this film. And it was a 90 minutes. How long is this film? Oh, too long. Uh, 90 two minutes hours to... and two minutes. Oh, wow. That is pretty long. Yeah, two hours of her life was spent on this film. <laughs> Man, it was you're welcome, a lot of fun. Strategic Whimsy Experiment audience. <laughs> yeah. It's just for you guys. I have to say, of all humans that exist on Earth to watch this film with, Sarah is the one that would be my pick because we just <laughs> tore this film apart the whole time we were watching it, which made it so fun and a lot more bearable. So <laughs> we had a good time. Yes, we did. And so we were thinking like, oh, we're going to watch it and then we'll review right after and it'll be great. Like it's mm -hmm. a great plan. And uh, that's not how it worked out because we finished watching the, the movie and we just sat there like, Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Where do, um, hmm. How, um, what? There's a lot, like, of, there's a lot of sighing and a lot of why. <laughs> that, how is that. this a thing? Yeah. Honestly, though, I think what really made this super interesting to watch this time around, having been a lot older now, and knowing that it was so successful, 
made me watch this with a eye of wanting to figure out what about the storyline or the characters or the plot or the premise what about it was so intriguing that it captured the attention of millions of preteens like around the world like the fact that this film well I guess the whole series and the books and the films all were so successful is so intriguing and that's part of what kind of boggled our minds after watching this film as Sarah and I were like this is such a terrible premise and as terrible display of a relationship and yet it is so successful like why what about it we just oh we we were so stumped and um I think that was that was what was so um just left us speechless honestly after watching this and kind of mind boggled yeah, we could not, we couldn't figure it out. So we had to take a minute, pause, <laughs> get through the holidays, do some good deep dive of Twilight research. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. We here might not we have are. answers, but we do have a lot to talk about. We do. And a lot of interesting theories. There's actually quite a large spectrum of theories that people have and thoughts that people have um, that were really interesting to dive into beyond our our own initial thoughts, which was awesome. Um, But yeah, we're excited to dive into this. I think, you know, we we often talk about on this podcast the effect and the power of film, the power of digital media, and the way that it shapes a generation. And this is the perfect film to talk about in light of that theme because – millions of preteens have watched this as an example of this everlasting beautiful display of love and in this in this review we will definitely pick apart some of those and places that it's very problematic so where should we begin first that is a great question um i'm I gonna think- Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, we had jotted down a couple things after watching this film together, just, you know, it, while we were ruminating on it post-watching this film, there are a couple themes that came up. So I'm going to go with the one on our list that is in all caps. It's listed first. <laughs> and it's, why vampires are attractive. What is it about vampires that make them incredibly attractive? Because... That is the anchor point for a lot of why this film is effective is that it has this really compelling, exciting, dangerous character um, that feels very intriguing and exciting. And I think it's, I mean, this was, this movie came out during the age of Tumblr and there were a lot of like fan pages and girls really loving Edward. So Maybe we start there. Like, what do you think, or what are our theories around why vampires are so attractive to young girls or to girls in general? I shouldn't well, say young girls. It could be any age. <laughs> I mean, that's true. So before I answer that question, mm-hmm. um, I was first introduced to Twilight by a friend of mine who I worked with at the time, who is in her 50s now. So, I mean, she had grown children and she drug me to a number of these movies. Uh, I thought you said she drugged you and dragged you to the... (laughs) Honestly, there there was no drugging involved, just dragging. Uh, (laughs) Well, it's one of the ways to get you to watch this probably a second time around. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. Also, like, pay for me to see a movie. Get me free popcorn. Like, I'll go watch a terrible movie with you. It's fine. Let me mock it and we'll be great. So was Um, this when it first came out? Yep. So I saw it. So it came out in, oh, 2008. Wow. Um, yeah, about 10 years ago. So yeah, I saw it when it came out. I watched it in theaters with her. Oh, and wow. uh, so not every, experience. not every fan was a preteen girl. Some of them are preteen girls internally <laughs> <laughs> and yet have whole families and careers and things. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. 
just fun for all ages, apparently. But um, I really think like vampires are just the latest or the oldest, depending on your perspective, version of like the bad boy Mm -hmm. stereotype. You know, it's this man, this mysterious, aloof guy. He's so, you know, he's so bad, but I can see the good in him and, you know, I can change him. So it's just this like inerrant desire that we have for control. I think like, that's how I see it. Like, oh man, he's so bad, but he loves me. And so if I'm good enough and I do the right things, I can make him good. Which, I mean, we see that in all kinds of film and books and all kinds of different things where good girl falls for the bad guy and the rest is history. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned control and how that ultimately helps boost our own egos, egos, right? Um, Mm -hmm. There's an inherent pride in being able to say, I... I could change him. Like of all, all, so many girls have tried and they've all been burned, but I was the one that made the difference because there's something about me or something about our relationship that is special and different. And that feels exciting and special, right? It's like this, like our love could somehow transcend his own mm-hmm. innate issues and weaknesses and bad boy behavior. Like I could change him. Well, and when the stakes are as high as I am his <laughs> meal, uh, it just, it makes everything so much more dramatic and dangerous and, you know, it just ratchets up the drama. So, mm-hmm. you know, theoretically, it's just a lot more entertaining than if he was just, you know, a regular human bad boy who might like treat you badly. Mm-hmm. But man, he could, he could kill you. For his dinner. Like, okay, that's, whoa, buddy. Talk about steaks here. Hello. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's as ridiculous as the whole premise is, I can understand why their love seems to be so revered and everlasting or why it could easily potentially be interpreted wrongly to be a more powerful love because he has this sacrificial intent, right? Like he is withholding his own desire because his love for her is stronger than his own primal instincts. Like in, if we zoom out a little bit, like that's pretty good. Like, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. going to forego my own desires and sacrifice them because my love for you is stronger. That's an awesome premise. How it's manifested is what we have an issue. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see how if you were to take the bones of this, it it has the building blocks for being a an everlasting, strong, powerful love that we should revere. But it's just the way that it's uh, portrayed and manifested that we have issues with. Um, and that's – it reminds me of that one quote. Um, I don't know by whom or where I heard it, but um, it's the one about how half-truths are almost worse than lies because they're, they're, they're more believable and they're easier to adopt and feel like they're truths when they actually aren't. So it kind of reminds me of that Mm. a little bit here where we've taken this concept where the foundation is innocent and pure, but has been manifested and twisted in a way that is no longer what it used to be. But the, the core of it seems to make a lot of sense on, um, when you initially think about it. Yeah. I mean, when you think about, you know, self control and and sacrifice and um fidelity and like these are all great things that you want in a relationship um I think that when you're 17 you're probably too young to be uh entering into that kind of a relationship but you know that's just me mm-hmm. um but I think like you said like the way that it's gone about is not um, 
the the healthiest of options because she actively puts herself in danger in order to prove to Edward how much she loves him. And he tells her repeatedly that he's not a good guy, that she shouldn't be with him, that he will hurt her, like all of these things. And yet she continues to come around. So I'm going, I'm thinking that the bad outweighs the good in this equation. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And it happens all so quickly as well. That's the other issue I have with this relationship. Like, you know nothing about this man, okay? And he is not giving you any good signs that seem promising. But the relationship moves incredibly quickly. And it's a little bit awkward at the beginning, too. Like, they do not know how to court each other. I think it's awkward at the end, too. Like, there's... (laughs) At no point in this movie do either of them have chemistry with each other. Yeah. Like, no, but, but I do, I do agree. Like if they had taken the time to really develop both characters and then develop their relationship, like that's, I, I don't know about you, but like, I think that is what makes relationships in films so special is you see the buildup to it. And so then when you see them together, it's like this huge climactic thing. And you're like, oh my gosh, finally they got together. Like that's usually the climax of these kind of movies, but it's like their entire plot was, they were writing a different type of movie and it all kind of got twisted and they made it seem like, oh, Twilight's about this big love story when it's sure it is, but it's really about this chick putting herself in danger and her almost dying multiple times only to be saved by this family of people that could easily kill her if they weren't quote unquote vegetarians. Like, mm-hmm. eh. yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, just odd. <laughs> the plot moves very quickly and I think in general, that's kind of uh, one of the challenges of being limited to like a two-hour film. Um, It's a challenge that, for example, TV shows or books have um, more flexibility around and they can really develop their characters more. But yeah, it'd be interesting to think about if this film had started from them already being in a relationship together and then the, the primary focus of the film being them facing this pack of this what is it the opposing pack of what's his name i don't even remember his name that the one who really wants her is it like james or something like that yeah yeah so it's it was some like non-vampire name (laughs) as if edward's a vampire name um yeah it could have been about their love and them banding together and then them banding together with their family to fight off this opposing external force. But again, less interesting. We're going for the drama. We're going to see this. Yes. The forbidden love. Yeah, exactly. The teenage angst, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. Again, one of those reasons that Sarah and I were joking (laughs) after um, watching this film that if her and I were to write a, a love story in a film, it might not be a hit. (laughs) (laughs) You know it would not. (laughs) No one would want to watch that, probably other than us, which would make for a really interesting episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the only factor I could see us going for is like the humor and the wit in the dialogue and the banter of this love story that we think is better, but I don't know. Because I think, like, if you have two, you know, solid characters who go through this character development, it's a character-driven plot, and by the end of it, they're different people than they were at the beginning, and you could even have them coming from, like, it could be this, like, impossible, quote-unquote, situation, or this improbable romance, and you could still do it well. It just doesn't have to be you know, the normal stuff that you see. And it doesn't have to be like a human and a vampire. Like, eh, let's, no, let's not put 
these characters in like an unhealthy relationship and then call it a great love story. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. feeling that. Yeah. I think in general too, this film is a plot driven, action driven, drama driven plot versus a character plot, unfortunately. Oh, 100%. Which makes it, it just, I mean, for us, you and I, I'll just say it makes it less <laughs> engaging to feel invested in either of the characters. I mean, I'm trying to think about Edward. Edward's main arc is him controlling his um, his desires and his temptation, but we don't see ever see him struggling with it in the beginning anyway. I, you know, like there's, there's yeah. no going from A to B. It's kind of like A and then more of A and He's still in the mm-hmm. same place that he's in at the beginning of the film. But alas, there are other more problematic things with this film. Other than <laughs> the fact that it is plot driven and not character driven. Um, <laughs> so their relationship, we, we've deemed it toxic. But yes. maybe we can talk a little bit about all of the factors that are portrayed in the film. Um, that show toxic behavior and they're littered throughout but it'd be it'd be interesting to kind of talk through those a little bit and then what potentially as viewers are interpreting from what they're seeing as being displayed as normal so like um one of the like most obvious examples to me is uh when bella and her friends like they go look for prom dresses and Bella's like, you know what? I didn't come here to look for dresses with you. I came to go to this bookstore to get an old book. Yeah. What? Like she, a terrible (laughs) friend. She's basically like, I don't care about how you're going to look. I'm not invested in you, but I'm just here to using you so I can go see this dude that I'm into. Anyway, it's just, it's, it's so ridiculous. So she gets the old book. And yes. then instead of walking down like a well-lit main road, she decides <laughs> to walk down an alley at night as a single uh, female human that weighs, I don't know, a hundred pounds soaking wet. And <laughs> is she comes across these guys that are going to, I don't know, jumper, attacker, whatever. They don't have good intentions, but... Edward swoops in and he saves the day and he scares all the guys off and whoa, it's like this big moment. And you're like, Oh, thank God he was there. How did he know that she was there? Was he stalking her? Probably. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. So then after he saves her life, he is so high on adrenaline that he decides that he's going to endanger her life again (laughs) with how he's driving. (laughs) And not only that, but while they're in that car scene and he's driving, he keeps telling her, I'm going to go back and kill them. Bella, you have to stop me. Like, you have to make sure I don't go back. Please distract me so I don't go back and kill these guys. Oh, man. Man. <laughs> he does admit to stalking her, which the man's truthful, so that's he's got that going for him. I mean, it's that's very true. He does say, she says, How did you know where I was? He said, Oh, I was nearby, but I didn't want you to see me. <laughs> hmm. All the red flags just constantly going up. Yes. Yeah. Man, that's what we should have done. We should have had like a red flag counter while we were watching this. Oh, yeah. Because it was like moment number one. It was like, boop, red flag up. I already yeah. don't trust you. Don't like the way that you're looking at her. Stop it. Eyes front. Keep them to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That. Okay, so you mentioned the way that he looks at her. There's lots of staring, lots of intense <laughs> stares in this film. So maybe we take a little tangent here and talk about cinematography for a second of this film. So there's lots of staring, lots of like deep breathing. A lot of those shots where they are showing the stare, the intense stares um, between Bella and Edward, the cinematography and the way that they've designed the shot is for some reason to cut off the his face and her face where um 
the frame rises is just above their eyebrows and cuts off their forehead entirely and just above their chin so that cuts off part of their chins as well. So you get this really claustrophobic back and forth shot. So the specific scene that I'm thinking of is um, when they become lab partners and she shows up for science class and their lab partners and it's kind of the first time that they interact with each other directly other than you know, long glances from across the parking lot when she first arrives at school for the first day. And that scene, there's a there's several cuts back and forth between her face and his face and her face and his face. And it's kind of a long sequence, but it feels very claustrophobic because the camera has now cut off everything else in frame and you're just in, you know, too close for comfort to both of these characters for, you know, several minutes back and forth. It's an interesting, yeah. it's an interesting yeah. shot choice. It, and that continues throughout the film. Like mm. we were, we were constantly like, why is that your choice? There were so many, you know, strange angles, the way that they would sometimes like pan the camera. So that's something else that they did in that scene with the, you know, cutting back and forth between the two, they would just like randomly like pan the camera. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait, what? I'm, it was just all kinds of confusing. And so in addition to feeling um, claustrophobic at times, you also felt disoriented mm -hmm. because you didn't understand those camera angles. It didn't seem to add a whole lot to, you know, the, the story to the emotion to being in it, like, at least in my opinion, it didn't. Mm -hmm. So I was just left feeling very confused. Yeah. Yeah. From, from a filmmaking perspective, there's, there's less to be desired, um, in this film. You know, the, there's a lot of like weird panning where the camera is like kind of rotating back and forth not in like a shaky way but in a very smooth way and it's like circling them and that one scene that you mentioned and um so just wanted to call that out while we were on the topic of um some of some of those shots is the cinematography for this film not super great either um so less things to love about this film <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so back from the tangent um <laughs> the toxic relationship so an interesting um theory perspective whatever you want to call it um that we had uncovered that was interesting to chew on a little bit is this idea that their relationship is actually a positive display for young young teens um, and is a relationship that is to be revered because they are committed to abstaining from their desires for each other. Um, and particularly in a religious context, um, this is a display of abstinence and it's a display of a teenage boy and a girl who have chosen not to engage in sexual activities with each other. And it's a break from the classic, like, boy meets girl and they kiss immediately and, you know, do all kinds of things. Like, it's a, it's seen as a breath of fresh air to some people. What are your thoughts about that? Um, <laughs> how do you think that reading of this film is? I think it's, I can see the interpretation. It's not an outlandish one. I just mm -mm. don't necessarily agree with those reasons for admiring the relationship. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think while I, I appreciate the idea of, you know, um, abstinence in relationships, and I think that's super valuable so that the relationship can develop on its own, um, I think if you are if that is your positive takeaway from this, um, that makes me a little nervous because 
it's such an unhealthy relationship. And he is constantly telling her, hey, you're not good for me. She almost dies multiple times simply because of this relationship. That progresses at a crazy rate because they've only known each other for like couple weeks like mm-hmm. it's it's a super tight timeline for them to be getting that close um that entangled emotionally i mean i feel like it's always too early in a relationship for you to almost die like three times but it's <laughs> it's so it's just an unwise relationship and mm-hmm. while i think abstinence is great and we need to um probably create more, um, you know, uh, media that shows the, the value of that. This is not the way to do it in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I mean, the dude randomly breaks into her room and stares at her while she sleeps. No, <laughs> thank you. Uh-uh. That is not okay. That is creepy. So even though you're not doing anything that, nope. Yeah. She wakes up and she goes, how did you get in? He says, I've been here all, like, he, he's like, I've been here all night. And she doesn't like, question it. How is that okay? I don't know, Also, man. she is the daughter of the sheriff. Like, can we talk about Billy Burke's ability to sheriff this, uh, <laughs> this place? Because vampires breaking into your house, buddy. Yeah. And he... To be fair, isn't like not a huge fan of Edward towards the end, which I'm like, okay, good, good. We have, yeah. we have a character that has some sanity. Um, oh yeah. Sarah and I were talking about after this film that he's probably one of our favorite characters in this entire film, and he probably has like a couple minutes of screen time in total. Yep. But he's just so earnest and so awkward with her that it was all well done. Um, so he, mm-hmm. he added a, a great part to the whole story. And the fact that he's such a pure and earnest character makes her lying to him and hurting him and that ending whole sequence a lot more powerful. Like, it kind of hit the gut. You're like, oh, see, reasons why Edward is, this is not a good idea. Um, one of the things that I think was top of mind for me after watching this film is that it genuinely does do a good job of the sacrifices that Bella has to make for her relationship with Edward. And I appreciate that the film does that, you know, like it didn't have to, but she had to hurt her father and leave him and, you know, cut herself off from her friends and all of these things in order to be with him. And I think Part of that is it raises the stakes for their love story and it makes all of those sacrifices that she's made for him feel like their love is more valuable. So, you know, it's used in a way that I don't agree with. But at the same time, it does communicate (laughs) like, hey, toxic relationship. Um, One of the signs is you begin to distance yourself from your network from your family, from your friends, and you go farther and farther into this place with this other person, but you're leaving your roots behind. And um, I think that's a really common sign in toxic relationships is that disconnect with all of the people that used to be your support system. Um, And the film does do that. So we'll give it half a point for that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a very kind reading system you have going on here. <laughs> yeah. Um, while, you know, last couple thoughts on the the way the relationship was portrayed. Um, Sarah, do you want to talk about the article that we discovered that we both just found so delightful and it totally just tickled us? <laughs> yes. So Jen, in her wonderful, wonderful research that was far more successful than mine, found this, like, I think it was a scholarly paper that um, these two women uh, took the Twilight series and um, viewed it through the lens of domestic violence. 
And it was so, there was so much data in this article. Oh my gosh. It made my heart so happy. Like I was giddy reading it, which that's a whole nother topic for another time. But um, it was great to see them pour through the books and pull out, um, you know, phrases or moments of violence or danger where, um, or even where, um, either Edward or Jacob was controlling Bella, Mm -hmm. like all of these unhealthy indicators in a relationship and even abusive factors. And they actually quantified those in this paper. (laughs) Oh, it was so great. Honestly, there were lots of text sent back and forth between Sarah and I in all caps uh, to fully convey our excitement in discovering this. But um, the paper was written and published in the journal Women in Social Work. Um, And it was written by uh, Victoria E. Collins and Diane C. Carmody. If anyone who's listening is interested, um, really, really interesting. It's called, the title of the paper is called Deadly Love, colon, Images of Dating Violence in the Twilight Saga. Um, and the writers of this paper are both, one of them is a doctoral candidate, the other is a PhD associate professor, um, in the department of sociology and criminal justice at Old Dominion University. So, um, really interesting research approach. We just loved it. Um, you know, in the spirit of the strategic whimsy experience, experience, experiment, excuse me. just too excited, clearly. (laughs) But it's such a cool way where they've taken this strategic approach to prove a point. And um, it was really cool to see how, you know, we can read these books and watch these films and have a sense like, yeah, this is a toxic relationship. It's controlling X, Y, and Z. But they've quantified it and basically coded these behaviors and phrases in a quantifiable way and then performed all these different statistical analyses on it. Um, Really, really interesting way of looking at literature and media and um, these artifacts that are social pieces, um, but that we can look at in a super data-driven, tangible way. Just blew my mind and blew Sarah's mind. So we wanted to share that a little bit um, because it just, it was really a fun find. And if you're interested, definitely look it up. It's a good read. I think it's not too long of an article. Mm-mm. Like nope. 12, 10, 10, 11, 12 pages or so. So it's definitely a good read. Um, all right. So one of the other topics that while Sarah and I were doing kind of this um, deep dive into theories, different theories that people have on why Twilight was so successful and such a hit. Um, one of the th- theories that we uncovered, there's actually two, and this, these two theories were more about why, why the plot itself captured audiences and what about, um, what are the aspects and characteristics about this plot and some of the other hits that have, um, you know, just become really successful. What do they have in common and why have they, those captured audiences? And immediately when I was reading these, I thought, I'm so curious what Sarah's perspectives are about this because she just has such an eye from a writer's perspective on how characters and plot and narrative arcs are constructed and um, some of the intentional details to include or to forego um, when you only have like a limited amount of time or um, pages, I guess. Um, What to leave out and what to keep in and how much detail to go and how to craft characters and um, what challenges they go through and all that kind of stuff. So all that is to say is kind of curious, Sarah, your thoughts on these two theories. The first is that one of the reasons Twilight and other hits have become very successful is that the main character is intentionally left to be a little bit more of a white canvas. So, you know, you and I call her boring and kind of a bland character. She's not super distinct. There's nothing particularly interesting about her. That's our critique of it. But on the other hand, the, this argument is that 
because she's a white canvas, readers and viewers are able to superimpose themselves onto her character and thus she is more relatable and they can see themselves as her. So one of the other theories and universes that was referenced in this theory is Harry Potter. And they argue that, you know, Harry's a pretty average boy. We don't necessarily know a ton about him. He's more of a blank slate compared to other protagonists. And therefore, we can put ourselves in his shoes and then read the rest of the story through his perspective. So that's one theory. Um, the other that I'm curious your thoughts on from a writer's perspective is um, that Twilight, and again, this is Twilight and Harry Potter both referenced here as well, is that they take contexts that seem very ordinary and contexts that are accessible and common to a vast number of viewers, so high school or um, starting in a new school, being the new kid, all that kind of stuff. They take ordinary contexts, ordinary towns, and infuse and infiltrate them with these extraordinary elements, um, whether it be magic or vampires, like that is inherently an exciting premise because it feels like something that could happen in our own worlds and um, it makes it intriguing and exciting in a way that maybe something set in a totally fantastical world feels less relatable. Um, curious your perspectives on both of these theories. I think it's an interesting interpretation um, and an interesting distilling of two themes that are indeed part of both Twilight and Harry Potter and both of them are hits. So curious what you think, if you agree, disagree. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, I think that if they're done well, uh, then they're great. Um, but if they're not done well, then you're left with subpar everything. Um, so for, for me personally, that's not how I would want to write characters. That's not how I like to write characters. I love, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a balance to it because you have to include enough things about the characters to keep them interesting. And it's usually the quirks that you include that make them so endearing. Um, and to have it, um, done in such a way that a person can relate to them, even if the character has a fully formed, you know, character, even if they have agency, you can still create it to where, you know, the reader, the viewer is like, yeah, I relate to that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, um, I haven't read the Harry Potter books in a long time and I have mm -hmm. not read Twilight, but I recently watched <laughs> the first Harry Potter movie and, um, they like JK Rowling did that so much better than, mm -hmm. Oh, who wrote Twilight? Stephanie Myers. Um, yeah. J.K. Rowling did a much better job, in my opinion, on doing that. She also created three-dimensional characters around a more bland character. And Harry grew over the course of the series, and he really did become a hero, even if he was still a reluctant hero at the end, which is a very, very endearing quality. Whereas Bella's most endearing quality is that she's clumsy. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm clumsy too. I get it. I don't want to put myself <laughs> in your situation. I don't want to be like you because putting myself in the story as you, I don't actually accomplish anything and I don't better myself. Whereas mm -hmm. if I am Harry Potter and I, I'm, okay, I'm in this story and somehow I am able to beat this thing against all odds. I form friendships. I am able to, you know, save mm -hmm. all of these people. Like, man, that's really cool. So I think, you know, JK Rowling just used that, that, I don't know even how, like what to call that, but that type of character so much better mm -hmm. than 
how it was used in Twilight. Um, and same thing with the, you know, making the ordinary extraordinary. It, that's what I loved about Harry mm-hmm. Potter when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, it was so cool. I was like, I want to go to London and I want to just go see that all of these things exist because I was convinced that they existed when I was a kid. I was like, yes, I want to go to Platform 9 and 3 Quarters. Like, this is going to be awesome. I want to go to mm-hmm. Hogwarts. This is great. I can be a muggle at Hogwarts. Like, I was... I was in it um, because it was this, man, maybe this does exist. But I didn't feel that way about vampires. Like, I don't, I hope that those don't exist. Like, mm-hmm. no, thank you. That is entirely unpleasant. Um, and I think, like, Harry Potter did a lot better job, but even something like, um, Vampire Diaries. Again, I haven't read the book. Um, I did watch the entire show on CW back when. (laughs) It was a long time ago, y'all. But, like, even they did a lot better. um, Because there's there's some, you know, there's actually a lot of similarities between Vampire Diaries and um, Twilight. But Vampire Diaries, as cheesy and high school as it was did so much better than Twilight did with a lot of these things. The character development was better. Even making the, the allure of vampires, um, it, was, it was so much better in Vampire Diaries, in my opinion, than it was in Twilight. Mm-hmm. Um, you cared about the characters. You saw their growth over, you know, even for like one season, you saw immense growth in some characters. And even though I don't remember the main character's name, that's really sad. I don't remember her name. And Vampire Diaries? Yeah, she was annoying. It's fine. Um, But (laughs) she she was very much like Bella. Like, she was you know, didn't have a whole lot of personality going on, was kind of blah, kind of melodramatic, like, all of these things. Um, But she even had growth. So I think it was just... I think Twilight could have done a lot better with what they had to work with. Because, I mean, vampires, whether you like it or not, are a very, very interesting premise that a lot could be done with. And I feel like they just went, meh, whatever. We're just going to call it a great love story and tra-la-la-la-la, make vampires sparkle. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, I think... uh... It's almost more concerning when she is that blank canvas and so many young readers are putting themselves in her shoes and feeling like they're her and wanting to be her. Like, to me, that is more concerning than if she was this character that had a lot of distinct qualities and maybe is less relatable. And it's you're reading about the story of two people um, – in some other universe that fall in love and they're going on this adventure and you're disconnected from the story, but you're excited to learn and hear more about what happens to them. Like it's more concerning for me when young readers are putting themselves in her shoes and reading this from her perspective. Like I, I, I almost wish that she wasn't such a blank canvas if it's going to be done this way, but in the context of Harry Potter, I totally agree with you. Um, It's exciting to feel like you're Harry and um, conquering your fears and facing the greatest dark lord in that universe. Like that is, there's something noble and um, exciting and um, there's a coming of age story there where he's he's learning to conquer those demons inside of himself to to for this greater good like that paint that like let's have that be a blank canvas and have as many kids want to be him um (laughs) but let's not have young kids want to be Bella please (laughs) but yeah yeah it's the same thing with um Luke Skywalker in um in Star Wars like he's very he's so um, boring Yeah, he's boring, but, and that's the beauty of it is, man, people were able to go and watch that movie and be like, man, I can be like Luke. Mm -hmm. I can, 
ah, I can rise up for the greater good and I can help others and I can, you know, defeat the dark side and like all of these things. And it's like, I mean, Bella accomplishes not dying. Yeah. Which is good. I mean, please, please stay alive. But, um, man, maybe let's not go out of our way to endanger ourselves. (laughs) Well, and let's even... actually accomplish something for somebody else. Like, let's help another human. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What an idea. What a thought. And not <laughs> only does she endanger herself, but she endangers the whole Cullen family. Yeah. When, what's her name? Rosalind? Rosalie? Rosalie. Rosalie. When Rosalie's pissed, that uh, scene where Bella comes over and they're making Italian and all this kind of stuff, <laughs> and she's pissed. I'm like, heck yes, Rosalie. Like, I would be pissed too. Like, Edward's bringing danger to their family. Like, that's that's all it is. And he's leading James and these other hunters and all these people have to protect her in order to um, make sure that she stays alive and they're putting their own health and their bodies at risk. Like, she is not worth it, (laughs) y'all. Not worth it. And I think in the, uh, it might be the next movie. It's some movie. It's one of them where like, she's like, I think she's like opening a birthday present or something. And then she gets a paper clip, a paper clip, a paper Paper cut. cut. I deeply empathize with that. But, and then like Jasper, like, Uh is that his name in the movie? Yes. Or is that his actual name in real life? No, that's his name in the movie. (laughs) He like. He smells the blood, and he's like, ah, and then he, like, tries to attack her, and then, like, Edward pushes her out of the way, and Edward has to fight his brother, and I'm like, this is not great. No, she is not worth it. Just (laughs) constantly bringing trouble. Yes. (laughs) But, alas, trouble is interesting and exciting, and we love to watch it. It's dramatic. We just love to watch it, though, you know, like. We do. (laughs) What's just, that saying that um, all peaceful families are the same, but all toxic families are all, like, just, what's the word? Oh, um, that's, like, a paraphrase that? of the first line in um, Anna Karenina. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. It's, like, all happy families are alike, but, I mean, I can go find the book. <laughs> yes, that's the quote, but, yeah. 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 Disorder is exciting. It really is. It's dramatic. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. You don't know what's going to happen next. Your heart rate goes up. You're just, you're in it. Yeah, except I think our hearts heart rates went up when watching this film more out of frustration and anger. <laughs> more of, what are you doing? This more is of like, mom. oh, are you kidding me? Really? No. <laughs> oh, man. It was a lot of fun to watch this film, I will say. It was it was a lot of fun. It really was. Um, all right, so closing thoughts. What stuck out to you the most or what was like really top of mind for you when watching this film? Reflections, things you noticed, observations, like what the second time, I guess third time for you watching this film. Like what really stuck out as you you know your your perspectives on it. Um, I I feel like they they tried to make this movie into something, um, and I mean clearly they were successful. They had such a large you know franchise, but it seemed like they were trying to be like artistic and and moody and try and like separate themselves from the, you know, teenage romance genre. Um, And it just ended up being so weird on top of the weird relationship, the lack of chemistry, the weird family dynamics, the weird feud with Jacob and his long haired friends. Like it was just, it was such an awkward and uncomfortable movie and to me, it didn't feel like that was intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, like for like, I mean, when you're a teenager, you're awkward. Like there's just no two ways about it. So they could have like 
leaned into the awkwardness and like made it really intentional, but it didn't feel like that. It felt like they were trying to do something artistic and profound and beautiful. And I'm just watching it going, oh no, this is, (laughs) nope, I'm not here for it. I don't get your vision. Thanks for trying. Come again (laughs) next time. (laughs) Didn't we have a theory post-watching this film initially that whoever the filmmakers were for this film just looked at each other, you know, over beers one night and was like, let's make a terrible film, but people (laughs) will still come see it and we will still make bank and it'll be jokes on everyone because... We're just going to screw around with this and we're gonna just, it's going to be a really great social experiment. Let's do it. Cool. Awesome. Let's do it, guys. You know, like See, there are so many decisions that were made that just defy a lot of filmmaking basics and practices and principles that you wonder, you wonder what they, what was top of mind for them making this film or if it just wasn't significant for them to pay attention to a lot of those details because they knew they had a following already, you know, like it's, it'd be interesting to kind of dig into that a little bit more, but I don't, I don't have much more interest. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the, the director's like other movies that she Mm -hmm. has directed. And like, I've, I've heard of some of these, but I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen anything else that she has done. Oh, did I see this? Oh, I might have seen this. Which one? Was it in uh, No, it was awful. Red Riding Hood? I oh, think a friend might have, like, dragged me to that. It has a 29 meta score, so that's that's what we're working with right now. <laughs> but Gary Oldman was in it, which is a, that's a plot twist for you. Um, but I don't think, I might have seen that. I don't remember it though other than it's awful um <laughs> but I haven't seen anything else that she's done so I would be really really interested to watch some of her right? other mm-hmm. her other things but they all like I'm not really interested in any of them if I'm being honest so that might be another that might be another strategic whimsy experiment uh episode here yeah yeah Clearly, oh, we're just I not as committed this. as Victoria E. Collins and Diane Carmody, the two uh, writers from Old Dominion University who went through all of the books and coded everything to prove a point. Like, Man, God bless them. Yeah. Oh, I could not. I'm nope. intrigued, but not that level of dedication quite yet. Not oh well, this. here's another plot twist for you. Mm-hmm. In a uh, in 2015. Oh wait, what is this? Anyway, I don't know what this is. It says short drama and music, so I don't know how those things go together. But she directed um, "Till It Happens to You," and it's a visceral exploration of four victims' experiences coping with campus sexual assault. Um, as they transition through the phases of attack, post-traumatic survival, and activism for change. So, was this created know, after Twilight? Yeah, 2015. Yeah. So maybe she was like, "Man, I created this thing uh, with this toxic have, relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Let's create something else on the other side of control this." Control Z. Control Z. <laughs> <laughs> More like you can't really control Z this one. You need some like uh, white out to go over it to really hide it. Cause man, that's interesting though. I'm intrigued. But yeah, not we'll intriguing. have to see if we can find yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so watching this the second time around, um, I just immediately flashed back to scrolling through Tumblr in my preteen youth and seeing so many fan pages for Bella and Edward and were you team Jacob or team Edward? And I remember how much this captured viewers and readers and seeing how toxic the relationship was and the type of relationship that is revered culturally amongst um 
a huge part of the my generation like that was really intriguing and eye-opening for me the second time around to really know that one this is not communicating the right principles and then two this is wildly successful like those two things together really blew my mind and this is something that I'm super interested and passionate about, which is also why I love this article by the two women from um, Old Dominion University. But they, the correlation between what we show in digital media and in film, in TV shows, in our commercials, like all of these things communicate so much to a young audience especially when you're in your preteen years and you don't know what a relationship is supposed to look like you're going to go to these things where a relationship is revered and adopt and learn from it and um, it just reignites a lot of my own passion for creating media and film and um artistic pieces for our generation that are in pop culture um, that communicate something that we want to pass down versus what will capture attention and ultimately the end goal for a lot of these studios and things like that is to make money. And so it's a really interesting tension and dichotomy between um, something that creating pieces for the financial purposes versus for the social purposes. And it's great when they can be married together. Oftentimes they aren't. Um, but it it's one of the reasons I love the, this um, This Is Us. It's a show that's become really popular the past, I think, year, two years, maybe three. Um, but it's a really wholesome, really sweet, innocent show about a family that is learning to love each other through a lot of hardship and to forgive each other and have a lot of grace for each other. And it's dramatic and there's lots of plot twists and they do all of that. They're, it's very entertaining, but it portrays such a sweet love. And I love that is forgiving and gracious and bearing with each other through the difficult times that I just love it. Like I'm like, yes, I'm all about this and we need more of it. So all of that to say is I'm mind blown that this exists and that it's super popular and the two of those together um, are really intriguing to me. It's one of the reasons why I love analyzing films and one of the reasons why Sarah and I love reviewing films and picking them apart um, and why we've created the strategic whimsy experiment as a medium to talk about a lot of these issues, point out the areas that are problematic, revere and celebrate the artistic pieces that have done really well and challenged viewers and um, communicated new things. So um, all that is to say is I love that we reviewed this film and that we got to watch it together and just make fun of it the whole time. It was a hoot, but also really important for the responsibility that we have as creators. Yes, I was, yep, I've been thinking about that as, as I've been like mulling over, oh, what are we going to talk about? Um, yeah, art is so powerful in that it both shapes and reflects culture. And so mm -hmm. everything that we do as creatives just we have to be responsible and understand that we're impacting people and we need to respond accordingly it's not something that should be taken lightly um but is a beautiful privilege that yes. we have yeah yeah and especially um in the realm of entertainment where you're just having fun and you don't you're guards are less up and your critical mind is left at home because you're here to just have fun and go to the theaters on a Saturday night and all of the subconscious messaging just is able to be trickled in um, much easier than potentially in, say, other mediums or worlds. So um, from a film review perspective, 
the fact that this film has a parody made of it called Vampire Suck, which came out, I don't know, which year did Vampire Suck come out? Was it? It must have been a couple years afterwards, 2010. So there was a film yep. called Vampire Suck that came out in 2010. It didn't do very well at all. Um, but it essentially parodied the whole Twilight universe. And if you want to know how this film is as a film, I don't know. If uh, there's been a parody and a satire made about your film, I don't know if it's a... I don't know if that's the intent that people go into creating a film. But but um, it was... I had actually watched that film with a couple friends and it's really terrible, but... Um, <laughs> really interesting and funny at the same time so clearly sarah and i uh have very strong opinions about this film uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to watch really fun to roast also fun to think about the responsibilities that we have as creators so um that's our review um all right <laughs>